Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Live from the DraftKings Sportsbook and Wild Rose Studio, this is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. All right, welcome back. Miller and Condon, hour number two, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. In about oh, 20 minutes or thereabouts, our friend Zubin Mahente from ESPN will join us. We'll go around the world of sports with Zubin. But Big 12 conversation, first and foremost, there's going to be a lot of that on this program coming up. We will uh, have multiple voices in here, get their take on West Virginia and Iowa State. Uh, Matt Poston's Heartland College Sports is the first one. Matt's all over basketball in the Big 12 as well as power rankings. His first of the year now that we've actually started. He has preseason out, but he's got his latest up. Iowa State remains number eight, and we'll see Kansas uh, tonight. What time, Trent, is that game? Do you know? Is that the late? It's a late game. Uh, so we'll see Kansas uh, tonight as uh, they are currently, according to our friend Matt Poston, is number three for him. Baylor tomorrow against Illinois. That's appointment TV. Matt Poston joins the program. Hello, Matt. How are you? Hey, guys. How are you? Doing well. Uh, basketball in a moment. Want to start football-wise in what clearly will be the um, – as big a game as ever played at Jack Trice Stadium coming up on on Saturday. Uh, the athletic director, Jamie Pollard, just announced that they will uh, allow fans back into the stadium, limited, 15,000, but there will be some there to see uh, what they hope will be their team uh, capturing the uh, regular season uh, title uh, in, in football with if they could beat a West Virginia team who is improving. Fair to say, Matt Postens, this is a team that maybe – you know, when the calendar turn from October, November is is really starting to come on. Yeah, they've they've certainly uh, defensively they've been steady all year, but uh, their quarterback play has improved. Uh, they've really bought into the running game. I think they've kind of solved some of the uh, drop issues that they were having at the receiver position. Uh, they're great at home. They've played very well at home all year. I was really looking forward to that Oklahoma game mm-hmm. uh, that had to be postponed because West Virginia has not lost a game at home this year, but they haven't been they weren't that great on the road to start the season. They've gotten better on the road as the year has gone on, so they're by no means going to be a pushover. Uh, for Iowa State. They certainly have the ability to go in there and challenge the Cyclones. And with as big a win as Iowa State had on Saturday against Texas, uh, certainly have, they have to guard against that quote-unquote letdown game against the Mountaineers. Neil Brown, a guy that goes to West Virginia from Troy, not exactly the, the step up that you'd anticipate. A guy from the South, you think he'd go to the South, but he's kind of been all over the place. The job that he did, you know, climbing in year number one, a lot of headlines early this season, what they did against Oklahoma, Less miles, felt like it was never going to work. And then you have the Texas Tech situation here. 
how much more can Neil Brown do with this program? When they were in the Big East, they were power. They were fighting to be in BCS yeah. games. And how high of a level do you think he can get this program back to? Well, I, I think that it really boils down to what he can do on the defensive side of the football. I, I think they're always going to be able to recruit offense. If you look at those Big East teams and you look at even the teams in the Big 12 that have played well, they've always had the offensive people on that side of the ball. Uh, they, they've been special defensively in terms of their consistency, in terms of their ability to create turnovers, uh, in terms of their ability to limit opponents from a yardage standpoint. If they can continue to recruit players and continue to play that kind of defense on a yearly basis, then I think that makes them a team that could eventually be a Big 12 contender and not just one where you're talking about playing 50, 60-point games uh, with, with schools like Oklahoma and Texas. You know, games where you can see a, a team like Iowa State go into DKR and hold you know Texas down under 30 points. Uh, I really think it boils down to the defense. And, and I think the thing with Neil Brown is, you know, he, he's bought into that side of the ball. I mean, he's an offensive guy, but uh, he's bought into making sure the defense has what it's, it needs to succeed. They've got some players they've got to replace next year. Uh, they got a couple of uh, transfers that came in this year that really helped them. They've got the Stills brothers. At, at least one of them will be leaving, if not both, for the NFL after this year. So they have some some areas they have to replace, but if they can consistently play defense like that, then they can be a contender in this conference. You know, you, you bring up a great point because I'm, I'm, I've got the schedule in front of them. They gave up 27 to Oklahoma State when Oklahoma State's offense, uh, sure, Hubbard wasn't there that week. I mean, uh, uh, the quarter of Sanders wasn't there that week, but um, the following week, double overtime, only gave up 21 in a win over Baylor. Then uh, 17, 34, 10. 17-6. This is a really good defense. Iowa State, who's got a good offense, uh, will be tested a little bit. So when, when I go back, my West Virginia, I saw the, I watched the Baylor West Virginia game start to finish. Double overtime game. I came away thinking, uh, these are really two middle of the road Big 12 teams. I don't think any of them really is going to have an impact on anything going forward. Then I watched the Texas game early November and I got screwed, uh, in a uh, pass interference call that should have clearly been blown, but game was in Austin it didn't happen um, I'm impressed by this team and to your point I don't think that that there'll be a letdown at Iowa State but what I do fear this West Virginia team is they're, they're capable of coming in here and giving Iowa State all that they want and I wouldn't have said that earlier Matt no, absolutely. They've really rounded into shape the past four to six weeks. And that, that defense, what they've played consistently this whole year, it's given them time to figure out the things they need to figure out on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, once they finally bought into Letty Brown being their lead back and really started feeding the ball to him, that really changed the dynamic of that offense. They were able to use play action more. They were able to use a lot more misdirection. Uh, they were able to get a lot more balanced, and I think that's really had a direct impact on how well they've played the past couple of months. With West Virginia, if you're going to have success against them Saturday, you've got to start by slowing down the running game, and that means slowing down Letty Brown. Iowa State, two years ago, went to the Alamo Bowl, an ice bowl. Mm-hmm. But it was heights that we hadn't seen before. Yep. If we had full attendance, if they knew they were playing in the championship game, the trip down 35, I think there would easily be 30,000, 40,000, I don't think is out of the crazy thought process. Fans making their way down to Dallas. That's not going to be the case. Offhand, do you know how many people are going to be allowed in there? Well, how many were at the World Series? Was it 11,000? Something like that. Any ideas, though, offhand of what it's going to be? Well, I I don't know 
I don't know if the Big 12 has set a limit. I do know that when they confirmed that the game would be on the 19th, they have noted that each participating school will receive 4,500 tickets wow. to sell through their ticket offices, <laughs> as well as 500 student tickets. So if you think about that, mm. that's 5,000 tickets a school. So that's at least 10,000. So I think that may be the baseline number if you're thinking about uh, attendance for that Big 12 championship game. It seems like 10,000 is about the baseline number. And it has it's it's still going to take base a place at the baseball stadium. They didn't move the the uh, Texas uh, football champion high school football championships, correct? Uh, I'm seeing AT and T Stadium. Yeah, yeah, it's AT and T. It is. Yep. Because originally it was that was originally yeah, but they they, they announced this a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that oh. the Big Twelve put out, so it will be at Jerry World. Wow, a lot more room to spread yep. out there. You yeah, know that, man. So, so there'll be more than eleven thousand oh, yeah. people. I bet. Yeah, I you know the Cowboys games are I think are getting close to twenty twenty five thousand okay, in the okay. stands uh, from a distancing standpoint. So you know those are the ticket allotments they're giving to the schools. That certainly doesn't uh, preclude the Big Twelve from putting more tickets on sale to the general public. Interesting. So let's talk about Texas and what lies ahead for Tom Herman. Uh, I, I guess if there is a school in in a in a year where every school is tightening their budget um, and, and cutting costs where, where they can, doesn't seem like the best year to write a $15 million check to an outgoing coach plus all his assistants, whatever that's going to cost on top. That's not including bringing in the new guy. And if it is Urban Meyer, that's a major, major check. But does it seem like Tom Herman uh, is not long for Austin? Has he got one game left and that's going to be it in the Herman era with the Longhorns? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be tough to it's going to be tough to see Herman last beyond this year. It, it, you know, there it's not just you know I can I look at it like this. I look at two things. Number one, he's had probably the third best quarterback Texas has had this century yeah. behind Vince Young and Colt McCoy, mm-hmm. and you've basically wasted that. With him for four years too. Um, yeah, had him for four years. Um, and and the second thing is that when I watch this team play. They keep making the same mistakes, and I don't just mean players. I mean coaches, too. I mean, there are there are things that Herman has done from a game management standpoint or a play call standpoint that are, are to me, clearly mistakes that he was making two years ago. So if you're thinking about him, whether he's evolved as a coach, I don't think he's evolved as much as a coach as I thought he would when he took the job four years ago. And when you don't evolve as a coach the way you need to, then it's very hard to make the argument that your team is evolving the way it needs to evolve in order to be, you know, the kind of team they were a couple of years ago when they won the Sugar Bowl and Sam Ellinger said, hey, Texas is back, and they're really not back. So I'd be surprised if Tom Herman were the coach next year. With that, the Texas program, it's so weird. So I'm a child of the 80s. They weren't very good. They weren't good in the McWilliams era. They weren't real good in the McAvick era. Mac Brown got there, there, of course, won the national championship and had a couple of good seasons. They were consistently, though, you know, that 10 and 3 type of team every single year, a ton of talent. What is a realistic expectation for Texas football? I know there's a ton of talent down there, but there's a ton of talent in Alabama and Florida and California and on and on and on. What realistically, you put an eight year tenure for the next coach, what's a realistic expectation for them? I think a realistic expectation is this is a program that should contend for the Big 12 championship mm-hmm. every year. And I, and I don't just mean, you know, I mean, Texas is a, a contender every year unless they just look terrible on paper. But I mean a team that legitimately, 
should only lose one or two conference games a year and should go to a New Year's Six Bowl game at least once every two or three years and should contend for you know a spot in the college football playoff once every three or four years. Uh, there, there's no reason that this team can't be that good. Um, and that's what I mean by you know the coaching evolution. I mean, Mac Brown, for a long time, had this program exactly where it needed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the recruiting fell off just a little bit, and he ended up losing his job. And then you know Charlie Strong could kind of restore the recruiting a little bit, but you know, his coaching didn't evolve, so they brought in uh, Herman. Herman's recruiting has been fantastic. He has, he has brought in five-star guy after five-star guy. But it's, it's sort of like that conversation we have about Shaka Smart and that he brings in all these really great players, but it doesn't quite translate to what, what happens on the court. It's kind of the same thing with Tom Herman. He's bringing in great five-star, four-star guys, but they're not, it's not all coming together on the field. And you know, if they do end up make, making a coaching change, they've got to find somebody with a track record of bringing all of that together, the recruiting, the coaching, and the winning. And there's really no better coach on the market right now to do that than Urban Meyer, even with all the baggage. Is that the talk? I mean, I know that's who they want, if indeed they do make the change. What, what's the, uh, realistically, do you think that'll happen? There's there's a lot of chatter down in Austin about it. You know, mm-hmm. not chatter coming from the athletic department or anything like that, but just chatter on radio. Folks that I know that you know that kind of have an ear to the ground and kind of know what's going on. Um, you know, it's Texas. They've got buckets of money. If they really want to pay Herman the payout and then pay Urban Meyer say ten million a year to take over the program, that's what they're going to do. They'll find enough boosters to cobble together the money to do it. Is that the best decision in the long run? Based on what's on the market right now, probably so, if that's the move they want to make. But money's not the issue uh, as far as Texas is concerned. They're one of the few schools in the country that even with everything that's going on right now, because they have such an enormous athletic fund, I mean, their budget is like $100 million a year plus. They're one of the few schools that could actually go ahead and make that move and and not worry about it uh, really overwhelming their athletic department. Matt Poston's joining us, Heartland College Sports. Matt, you mentioned Shaka, so it got my basketball brain uh, revved up there. They get ready for a matchup with Indiana and the Maui Invitational being played in Asheville, North Carolina, in a season of 2020. Should be a good game this afternoon, but as a whole, very early in the season, your power ratings are out, and I saw Kansas State at 9 as I was going through. I said, God, who's at number 10 if Kansas State's at 9? Well, you didn't rank Oklahoma because they haven't played yet. Kansas State is going to be a long year for them. But let's talk about the top. Baylor, at least early on, as advertised. And West Virginia, three really nice wins, I thought, in South Dakota. Yeah, I thought West Virginia played really well throughout that tournament. And and the great thing for them is, you know, they knew they had Shebway and Culver. Mm-hmm. They expected not Miles McBride to improve, and he did. What was really great about that tournament for them was the the uptick in scoring from Sean McNeil and Taz Sherman. These are two guys who averaged last season 10 points combined. They came out of that tournament averaging about 25 points combined. Uh, West Virginia needs additional options from a scoring standpoint because Culver and Shibway and, and McBride aren't necessarily going to be the guys that are going to carry them every single night. They're going to have off nights now and again. And to have guys like McNeil and Sherman who – who really weren't that counted on last year to come in and really kind of have the tournament that they had, that really bodes well as they get ready to play Gonzaga on Wednesday night. Uh, that's going to be their first really significant test of the season. They got that game late after Gonzaga lost the game. 
They said, hey, let's meet up in Indianapolis and play after Baylor in <laughs> Illinois Wednesday night. So mm. it's a great doubleheader uh, Wednesday night for the Jimmy V Classic. Indeed it will. Uh, Kansas plays tonight. You know, I, I think maybe I um, was harder on the Jayhawks. I saw most of the Gonzaga game, and I think the Zags are going to make a lot of teams look bad this year and maybe leave you with an opinion that uh, the other team isn't very good because they're that good. Uh, I probably need to give Kansas another look, and then we'll we'll get to do that as uh, recently or as soon as tonight, rather, as they play Kentucky. Uh, was that your takeaway on 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 Kansas? That look, Gonzaga is on a whole different level than most everybody else. Don't be too mature to pro- to write off uh, the Jayhawks. Yeah, I looked at that and I was like, wow, really? They beat them by that much? And then you look at the box score and Gazaga shot 64% from the floor. And Kansas still shot 53% from the floor in that game. So, yeah, I think that um, you got to let them settle in a little bit because they're they're trying to figure out their interior game without Adoka as the B-play. They've got great options on the outside. Marcus Garrett had a big game. Christian Brown had a huge game against St. Joseph's, had 30 points. But they, they got good play out of their redshirt freshman, Jalen Harris. Uh, they got some good play out of their true freshman, Bryce Thompson. You know, Bill Self's kind of playing with the pieces right now. He has more than enough talent to figure out an eight or nine uh, player rotation. What he has to figure out is who's going to be those one or two guys that are going to give him the rebounding and the interior presence that he needs. Uh, I thought David McCormick had an okay couple of games, uh, but there's a couple of options he's playing with as well. College Football America um, he covers the Cowboys at the Maven. Matt Poston's everywhere. Heartland College Sports, very good on basketball and, of course, football. Matt, we appreciate you coming on. We will uh, talk to you here in the uh, weeks to come. Thank you, Matt Poston's. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks, guys. Good to talk to you. Matt Poston's Heartland College Sports. We'll get a timeout. Our friend Zubin Mahente is up next. We'll go around the world of sports with Zubin. Look forward to doing that. Gonzaga plays Baylor on Saturday, too. How about that? So Wednesday, West Virginia, after playing Kansas last week in Auburn, yeah, they get Baylor over the weekend, and then it lightens up before the Iowa game, but they very well could see five top ten teams Jeez. in the non-conference here. Their matchup after Baylor, though, is Tarleton State, who's now D1. Billy Gillespie. Yeah, I saw that. There. I did see that. Right. I forgot. Which, yeah. uh, a fun angle, but that's scheduled by Mark View. Tip of the ball, Kansas. Oof. And just picking up these games, oh. Got a game canceled. Let's play West Virginia. Yeah, not scared of anybody, right? No. You're going to, I mean, that'll bode well for March. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. They'll get it in. Zubin Mahente, even if it's May Madness, just get it in. Miller right. and Condon till noon. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. In 2020, we learned how important sports can be and how quickly they can be taken away. In 2021, we'll enjoy every last second. Join us on 1460 AM, 106.3 FM, or anywhere in the world with iHeartRadio. This is Des Moines Sports Station, KXNO, the insurance company and affiliates. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM, this is KXNO. Welcome back to Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. 
Trent and I take you until noon. Let's get our friend Zubin Mahente in here. He is a proud Rutgers graduate. How about that football team, Zubin Mahente? They've got a pulse under Shiano. How about that? No doubt. Great to hear your voice, Ken. Good to be back. Yeah, good to talk to you. Yeah, I'm glad everything is going well. And, yeah, you know, Rutgers' record may not reflect it, um, but the fact is really outside of the Ohio State game, they've been in every game. They're playing hard. They played Indiana tough, which in previous years may not mean much. Um, They just are having some trouble getting over the hump. The Michigan game, you know, nobody's really into moral wins. I think maybe the last time I was on the show I mentioned, they played Michigan in 2016, and, you know, they lost 78-0. And I'm not really sure Michigan or Rutgers has improved much from then, apparently. (laughs) But it's one of those things where um, you can just tell they're playing a lot harder. And nothing against Coach Ash. Coach Ash is going to go down as probably one of the more poor coaches in Big Ten history. I mean, you guys guys got a guy that's one of the greatest Big Ten coaches of all time. Um, And on this end, you look at it and you (laughs) just sort of say, you need the right guy. You got to have the right fit. And as I mentioned to you before, the only job Greg was going to get was Rutgers. He was boxed out of the Tennessee job and the Penn State Association with um, Jerry Sandusky, fairly or not, probably kept him out of the mix. So uh, the Rutgers fans got the only guy they wanted, and Greg probably got the only job that was available to him. It was probably a marriage of convenience more than anything, but I think for the two, this arranged marriage could actually work. We had Greg on the show, on our radio show, couple weeks ago and i jokingly asked him i said why in the world would you want to do this twice right (laughs) if you rebuilt it the first time you got an nfl job out of it you got a cushy job at ohio state out of it why in the world would you want to do it twice but the guy's a grinder and the school's really happy to have so speaking of the big 10 tonight we'll uh have the unveiling of ken's favorite tv show the college football playoff release and we will get that this evening it's anticipated, pretty standard. It'll be Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State. But I want to get into the Buckeyes. If they have to miss another game, if they're not able to go either Saturday or the following week against Michigan and not able to play for a championship, limited number of games, play an Iowa, Wisconsin, as opposed to Northwestern in that championship game, is that impactful at all? You don't get the title of Big Ten champion, but we all know they're Big Ten champions. How does that impact Ohio State in your mind? You know, it's tough because if there were to be a huge outbreak, and obviously let's not hope there is, but there's 14 games left in the Big Ten schedule, as you guys know, seven this Saturday, seven the following Saturday. If 12 of those 14 were wiped out, already one of them has been, as you know, it's Minnesota. I, that's a very tall ask, and I certainly don't want anything like that to happen. The, the league footprint stretches from far east as New Jersey to far west as Nebraska, as you know. But if something cataclysmic were to take place uh, with the virus and we were to go the wrong way, and 12 of those 14 wouldn't be played, then you could actually get into the Big Ten Championship game, as you guys know, at the under-six threshold. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I do think it's a little odd that the Big Ten would quote-unquote mandate, unless that number gets moved, the Big Ten would quote-unquote mandate a number of games that you would have to play to uh, participate mm-hmm. in the Big Ten Championship game, yet the college football playoff does not, right? right. I mean, if you're 3-0, if you're and and you have the three most impressive wins that have ever been seen on a gridiron, <laughs> they can put you into the college football playoffs. Barden Company can put you in with a 3-0 record. Now, that's obviously not going to happen, but you get my drift. The idea that the Big Ten championship game is going to mandate some sort of minimum requirement, yet the one event that's bigger than that doesn't, that doesn't square well with me. I understand that's the way that's going to be. That's the way it'll go. We'll see what happens tonight on your favorite TV show, and then, Champions Classic after that. So if you live in a college state like Iowa, 
tonight's amazing. And just for your uh, viewers that don't know, I'm sure you do, or listeners, sorry, it's my old world viewers. <laughs> for your listeners that don't know, um, tonight's game between Michigan State and Duke is going to be played at an empty Cameron Indoor Stadium, and Kentucky and Kansas are going to play at Bankers Life Fieldhouse in Indy. So it's not really a true four teams, one venue. Uh, obviously, the virus has caused some very interesting things. And uh, keep an eye out for Jalen Johnson. I was talking to Jay Williams today. He had 19 and 19 in his debut against Coppin State. Izzo called him a mini magic. Huh. Says something coming from Izzo at Michigan State. So 19 and 19 in the kid's debut. Keep an eye out for him. Jay's really high on him. Uh, that'll be the first game. Kansas, Kentucky at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. Uh, in the second one. So it's a little bit unique, but they're they're getting this thing in better late than never. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's going to be the next couple of nights uh, are, are terrific. So when, uh, college basketball-wise, where I want to go with you is I know you're not involved in all the programming decisions and behind the scenes trying to move games around. And, you know, now we there was a point yesterday where it looked like we had three games this coming Monday night, uh, three NFL games. Now one of them has been moved to Tuesday. But just behind the scenes and having to scramble, even when you lose a college game the day of that's supposed to be on one of the ESPN, um, one one of the properties over there, and you have to come up with programming for that or move a game or show a game on a couple of networks at the same time. I, I can't imagine what it's, to, what it's like in that room with those people that are, you know, trying to juggle all that and 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 still uh you know make make uh, bring as many eyeballs to television sets as possible you know it's funny you say that a few weeks ago i was back in bristol we had a uh, staffing shortage so i was doing some college football uh, a few saturdays ago and it's one of those things actually where we constantly have to deal with little things like so for example the weekend i was in I want to say Cincinnati was going to be playing on ABC because, you know, a game had fallen through. And I think we had discussed that the last time I was on. Cincinnati was primed to be, I think they were playing Houston on ABC, and they, excuse me, on ESPN. They moved the game to ABC. But the ABC game preceding that game wasn't over, so we had to start the game on our air on ESPN2 and move it back to ABC. So in some cases, we're just kind of used to that with regards to where is everything, how do we navigate the viewers there. I do think the one advantage of what you're talking about is if a game were to be canceled out of nowhere and we have a three-hour window, keep in mind, we are now budgeting these games. I'm sure you've seen. We're basically budgeting games at about three and a half hours. It's impossible to ask for a college football game at this point to end in about three hours. So when you see the window, it's usually three hours and then a half hour for what we like to call a scoreboard show, which is essentially a highlight show. And most of the time, the game will spill over into that extra 30 minutes. But one thing that people haven't really discussed is the fact that while it's a little bit of a nightmare for us, but again, nightmare in quotations here with regards to it's still college football. We're still trying to get the best games to everybody. The big winner in all of this is actually the school, because if you can get bumped up from ESPNU to ESPNU, <laughs> it might not sound much. That's huge for a lot of schools. I mean, the idea that like, you know, Coastal Carolina, this week game day is going to go there. But for the most part, they're having their best season in school history, and they really can't get any love on a big-time channel. I think they were on ESPN maybe once so far this season. But if you can go from the U to two, if you can go from two to ESPN, that's a gigantic, that's a gigantic um, jump. If you just take a look at the average rating for anything on ESPN versus ESPN two, it's massive. So you're right; it's tough for us to juggle. But the hidden secret in it is the team that is sort of getting a lower profile, is playing in a spot that they wish they could be in a better position. They're actually getting the bump up. And for them, it might cost a a time change. For the most part, it might just be a hole that's being filled. 
But I think it's actually been a real boon to some of these schools. These cancellations of the big schools are allowing some of these smaller schools that might not get that sort of quote-unquote, we call it real estate. They might not get that actual airtime on the channel they want. They, through no fault of their own and through some unfortunate events surrounding bigger schools, they're actually getting their moment in the sun. Maybe not the way they wanted to get it at the expense of somebody else, but they're getting some shine that they normally wouldn't get. Hmm. Uh, Zubin, I, I, you, you may not know this, but I'm just I'm going to ask anyways. Do you, when when for Monday Night Football, it's an exclusive property uh, to ESPN. When there's a game that gets moved to Monday, now it's not up against it. Usually, you know, a couple three hours, whatever it is, before a Monday Night Football is slated to kick off. But uh, the six o'clock hour, at least uh, in the Central Time Zone, is all the pregame stuff, and you guys, there's a lot of resources go into that. And look, more people are going to watch the live game than watch the build-up to the Monday night game. Does the league have to make good at all? Do you think because maybe that's not quite as valuable that property since it's no longer an exclusive? I understand the circumstances; it'll never happen other than in a pandemic. But you get where I'm going, Zubin. I do. I think two things I would say. One, I think the one thing that we've appreciated, and I certainly can't speak for the programming group, is they really haven't moved our games or given us another game. I think when we fly to a game or Steve and Brian and Lou go there, they've essentially kept our schedule the way that it is. Now, there may be a game in front of it, as there has been, like when the Chiefs played the Bills, and obviously there probably wouldn't be a game on the back of it, considering our 8.20 Eastern time has been locked in. But I think you hit the nail on the head, and this is something maybe a lot of people don't realize. The rating for the pregame show versus the actual game, I mean, it's just gigantic. I mean, it's just absolutely gigantic. ESPN does enough on Monday just with the game to win Monday night, generally on any TV set that's going broadcast or cable. But to your point, I don't think they feel too bad about dipping into it because while I've been a studio guy my whole life, and I love watching Susie, I love watching Trey, when Trey was here all over the years, uh, the numbers do bear it out if you look at it. Uh, the game just does such a whopping number and a huge percentage more uh, than the pregame show. And if there's a spillover, there has to be a spillover. Uh, you know, prior to this, you know, Wednesday afternoon affair and a Tuesday game, for the most part, if they had to squeeze two into one day, I think they realized through the consolidation something was going to be nipped here or there. Now that we're getting into these Tuesday scenarios or multiple Monday scenarios or a Wednesday afternoon scenario, it's a little bit different. you got to think about it from NBC's point of view as well, from their Wednesday game. Yeah, it's 340. It's not great. But think about the revenue they were expecting to hopefully generate because that was the third of three on Thanksgiving night when everybody mm-hmm. was home and the yep. resumption of maybe the best recent rivalry in the NFL. Plus, Sunday Night Football has been the number one show on the air for years and years and years. So to give them the opportunity to recoup in a way that NBC wanted may not seem you know, on the surface, it makes sense that NBC would want a game at 340, but they have programming considerations to take into account as well. So I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Sometimes you got to give a little to get a little. Everyone's got to sacrifice. And if it's the pregame show, which doesn't really get much of a number and a fraction of the regular game, I think they probably have to bite the bullet a little bit. So if you can, from your vantage point, explain the difference. And I've heard a multitude of different explanations for it. The Broncos and what they went through and what the Ravens are continuing to go through. Is it just as simple as the number of cases, or do you think there's more to this, Ubin? It's funny you say that. I'll, I'll give you the exact answer. We had Demar Smith on today mm-hmm. on the show, and the MVP of our show, I've said it before, is whoever books the guests, right? Because yeah, for sure. I really know our opinions don't really count here and there, but if we can just ask the right questions to the right people, they'll tell us everything. I mean, Demar Smith came on this morning and said, 
Listen, folks, here's the here's the big difference. Stop everybody stop their hand raising now. He said something that's obvious, but I hadn't heard him say it because Ken and Trent, this guy represents, you know, seventeen hundred and sixty yep. players. If you count the fifty five guys in each roster, that's one thousand seven hundred and sixty players. He just told us this morning flat out, he goes, Guys, football is not an essential business. We kind of treat it like it is in the American sporting culture. But let me tell you, as the guy that negotiates on behalf of 1,760 mm-hmm. players, I'm telling you, yes, they're getting paid. They're getting paid in full. But it's not an essential business. What he essentially said, I, we literally asked him, Trent, that question that you said, what was the difference between the Ravens and the Broncos? And he laid it right on his own players, the guy that he is paid to represent, and simply said this was negligence on the part of the players. In Baltimore, obviously, it was negligence on part of the staff. And DeMora Smith seems to believe that there is a clear and utter distinction on that, no matter what Drew Locke's mom says. (laughs) Unbelievable. Um, But he basically seemed to indicate that this was on them, so to speak, and he was going to have to take culpability for it. So he actually sees the issues as two completely different scenarios with regards to who is responsible, and therefore he doesn't feel like the same punishment or similar discipline should be handed out. That's right for me. And and good for him. And and I feel as a hardcore Broncos fan, I feel the same way. This is on Denver and the four quarterbacks that came in. I love the fact that they're giving up one of their days off to to watch film, but never should have happened. Zubin uh, and and uh, Mr. Smith is one hundred percent right. So uh, Zubin. Um, Back to back to basketball, college basketball, because we've seen some of the marquee teams. We're going to see a whole bunch more between now and the weekend. Uh, watching Gonzaga uh, play Kansas, and I and I know that they've got an unbelievably difficult schedule. They're not ducking anybody. Boy, oh boy, Zubin, I know it's crazy to think that after seeing them just as briefly as we did for 40 minutes, essentially, that I'm thinking to myself, good gosh. I'm not sure there's anybody out there that can beat this team. Uh, what was Jay Will's take on watching the Zags? Is he on board? Like, um, I mean, it's crazy to think after one game, right? But he had to be impressed. Oh, no question. I mean, obviously there was a little bit of criticism on the Auburn game, how it was played, should they have played. I mean, we're probably going to get that all the way throughout the season. Mm-hmm. Coach Few said, I think Coach Few said few words, and it was the right thing to say, which is, we followed the protocol, and I think he wanted to say stop asking me about it. Um, but I think if you look at there's two things going on with the Zags, and Jay and I have discussed it. More Duke talk, as you might imagine, with him. But the biggest thing is, you know, Gonzaga might actually, it's not, it just doesn't happen often. They could honestly really have um, two first-team All-Americans. Now, that's rare. But they probably do have enough talent to have two first-team All-Americans. Jalen Suggs is the highest-rated mm. recruit in school history. He looks great out of the gate. This is coming on the heels of Zach Collins not too long ago being their first one-and-done player. And for all of us, like us three and your listeners that love college basketball, we know this is obviously a mid-major in name only. But now they've started to take the absolute elite steps. Like I said, one-and-done, not even thinking about coming back. I'm going to the NBA with Zach Collins. Now to be able to get a guy like Suggs and to be able to have a guy like Drew Timmy, who I think is one of the most underrated players uh, in America, I don't think a lot of people are really aware of what he is capable of doing. And there's a lot of people that believe if you pair BYU and you look at the start San Francisco has had and you look at what Gonzaga's been able to do, believe it or not, even Pepperdine has a couple of great players, including this kid Colby Ross, who you should really keep your eye on. There's a lot of talk that it's pretty much the Pac-12 is the Pac-12, but it is pretty much bypassed the Mountain West as the best quote-unquote non-power seven, if you want to call it, league in america i think for a long time 
Uh, the Mountain West just had the edge. San Diego State was propping it up uh, very nicely for quite some time. Utah State has been very good. But I think if you really take a look at the early returns, obviously led by Gonzaga, you might be able to make a, an argument that the WCC, not just at the top, but all the way through, might be better than the Mountain West, which is a really surprising thing to say. But I love the way Gonzaga's doing it. I love who they've got. Um, and the way that they manhandled Kansas, scoring 102 points out of the gate. I think they've made 20 straight NCAA tournaments. I mean, just the list goes on and on and on. But I really love the use of the roster, their ability to continually get the best players uh, in America. It's really straight up, still about fit with them. And keep an eye on guys like uh, Drew Timmy and guys I think they're going to continue to fill it up. And, you know, they've been close. They've been to the national championship. They were tied, I believe, with 70 seconds to go. I mean, you know, I'll take that back. 100 seconds to go. I think with a buck 40 to go, they were tied with North Carolina in the 2017 championship game. And they've been that close. And this may be the best roster uh, they've had. So, And that says something, considering some of the guys over the years. Zubin, uh, how fired up are you for the NBA opening day of training camp today? I heard it this morning. I mentioned it to the top, at the top of the show with Ken. Just absolutely baffling. NBA is back. <laughs> it's amazing. Think about this, and I'll give you this one. We had Nick Nurse on, our Iowa buddy, and we had said to him, I said, think about this. When the Lakers hoisted the Larry O'Brien trophy in the bubble on that Sunday night when they knocked off Miami in seven, or six, excuse me, the day that happened until opening day, December 22nd, 71 days. That's not a lot. Mm. 71 days. By comparison, when Nick Nurse and your Toronto Raptors, Ken, mm-hmm. won the championship, the uh, the day between the winning that game in Golden State and the day they started their title defense, 131, 132 Jeez. days. So think about that. Almost less than half, a little more than half, is what the Lakers and everybody else are going to have to deal with. Last word I'd leave you with, the NBA may have some financial troubles, for sure, after China and the bubble and everything that costs the bubble to put it into place. But this year's salary cap is the same as last year. And the luxury tax is the same as last year. So if there's any talk about short-term health of the league, you would have thought the cap would have went down to make up for the shortfall and everything that they lost. Cap's exactly the same. And so is the luxury tax. So that's got to be a really good it sign is. that the league was willing to do that and accept that number. They must have some good internal numbers to say, that things are moving in the right direction. Good stuff, Zubin Mahente. Appreciate it. Again, congratulations to Rutgers. Looking forward to Nebraska and Rutgers on Championship Saturday uh, playing Rutgers' favored three-and-a-half Trent's early line at the Condon (laughs) Casino. Zubin, we'll talk to you in a week's time. Have a great week, friend. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Good to talk to you. Zuba Mante from ESPN Radio 5 to 6 and 8 to 9 on uh, ESPN Radio. We'll come back. You stumbled across a little nugget that's kind of newsworthy to those people who like to play fantasy sports. Yeah, daily fantasy and uh, big news here for the state of Iowa. Just got the email. I'll let you know about that one. A lot of hoops tonight. Got a couple of plays that I like. Oh, okay. So uh, we're coming around. Mr. Monday Night, he won some money that yeah, he shouldn't have last night. Now that's a good way. Now you're being honest. Now he's going to be spending it. Uh, we'll uh, come back, finish things up. Miller and Condon till noon. 1460 KXNO. What else do like that? Hi, Miller and Condon. Final couple of minutes. Tuesday, Cappy. Tomorrow, looking forward to that. 
Obviously, a lot of Bears conversation. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Looking, uh, I'm guessing that'll probably dominate the uh, segment with Cappy tomorrow. Although today, uh, the non-tender deadline is tomorrow as well. Okay. So we may have some early news, or Cappy may have some early news he'll share with us on the Cubs. But you're going to share some news regarding fantasy sports, and it's opening up a little bit. It is. So for the longest time, since uh, August 15th of last year, we've been able to gamble on sports. We've been able to gamble on not just professional, but college sports. But for the daily fantasy players, you could do professional sports, but you weren't able to do the daily fantasy for Iowa, Iowa State, even college basketball, college football as a whole. That has changed today. An email that I received from DraftKings, that it is now, now Iowa college sports are now here for daily fantasy. So get your lineups in, see what you <laughs> do can you do. you play it? I do, yeah. I play every NFL Sunday. And have you been close to winning any money? Yeah, I've. Uh, I mean, like the biggest contest. I play, you know, a dollar, three dollar contest, yeah. things like that. I play in a group of like ten guys every Sunday, so it's people you know against each other. So just ten of us, and I've won that a few different times and finished in the top two and get some money back. But overall, I've hit one big contest. It was actually the Monday night game of Vikings Bears a few weeks ago, and I think I finished fifth. In a contest of like 500 people and turn it into like 75 bucks, oh, something like that, good. in a $2 one. So, yeah, they're out there. They have some fun. Those huge ones, though, I just don't see a way to make money. And I mean, it's more probably computer algorithms That's and what it is, yeah. you know, people putting together yeah. that. I like to play in the small ones where you know it's not the people playing at those kind of stakes that at least make a little bit fun, a little more interesting. I love fantasy sports and I need that Raven Steelers game in a big way because <laughs> I have playoff games in the balance. And if that doesn't happen, I have two guys that don't score points in one of my leagues, and with it, I'm probably going to be out of the playoffs. Well, we need to, uh, we're overdue for our friend Brian Rilko joining mm-hmm. the program from the Iowa Racing Gaming Commission. I, I do, I'm anxious to know. And next week, we'll probably get the numbers for November. We will, which, uh, which should be up. But I'm anxious to know what kind of impact fantasy sports are having in the state of Iowa. Mm-hmm. Now that sports wagering is legal, yeah. I just, I don't know. Anyways. But that's you. That's true. I'm, I'm, I'm Again, I'm not going to play fantasy sports. You are. Uh, you're going to play basketball tonight by the sounds of things. What are you doing? I got a game. I got a game that I love. Let me find it here because, well, as you know, I'm playing a bunch of them as always. My favorite one, though, Western Kentucky, plus seven. I was impressed by that Western so Kentucky I. team against Louisville. And Stanford this afternoon grabbed the four and a hook against Carolina. We'll, we'll see how you do tomorrow. Cappy will be here. Sipple will be here. Busy show tomorrow. Murph and Andy, two fanatics at four. Cyclone Radio tonight at six. Miller and Condon, 1460, 106.3.